good afternoon, good evening, and good night if, of course, you are listening to this laying in your bed, uh, in which case I'll probably have a chat to you and say that's not the best thing to go to sleep to because Sarah and I have, <laughs> like, we're a little bit ruckus, we're a little bit like, ah, in your head. Oh, you also and missed good morning. Yeah. There are people who might be listening to us in the morning, and that would be okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with good morning. I like, I like, like that's I think the prominent time to listen to this podcast. If if you're looking for no. my input, <laughs> no, my input is the best time is in the afternoon because I know that a lot of people listen to us on their way to and from weddings. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, there is that, but if I may come back at you saying that like <laughs> most of my weddings require me to leave like late morning, so so 11:59 oh, a.m. That's because yeah, that's because you. You weird Queensland people get married early. See, our weddings are like at four o'clock. Yeah, okay. But also a lot of my weddings require a drive. So I think we can say we're both right. How about around the middle of the day? (laughs) Somewhere between 11am and 4pm is like the best time to listen to the podcast. Should we? Which is also the best time to be out of the sun. Should should we rename ourselves so that we... uh, we have uh, the Celebrant Talk Show Lunch podcast. <laughs> sure. How, how do we do this every time that we start talking and we end up talking about something just ridiculous? It's our thing. That's what we do. Yeah, it is. It's true. Yep, fair. Hi, doing? everybody. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Here we are again. This time we are back to being in separate states. Yeah. So the last three episodes we recorded in Josh's garage slash studio at his home in on the Gold Coast. But I am now back at home where it is currently four degrees and Josh is at his home where it is how many degrees? Yeah, it is currently 15 degrees. And, yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's up. not great, but it's definitely – that's going to get warmer though, right? Um, oh, actually, so I lied. 20 degrees. They hadn't updated. Oh, shut <laughs> up. 20 degrees. Yeah, I don't want to know. Uh, so, yeah. So, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again. We love to have you. It's very nice. Uh, so, Josh, what's happening in your world? You're going overseas in a, in a minute. Yeah, in a few seconds, I'm about to head over to uh, Italy and Croatia. I've got um, I've got a couple of ceremonies over there, so that's really exciting. And I'm kind of hoping that um, if you were to hear noise in the background of my voice, that's because there's workmen outside extending our lounge room um, to uh, to. Well, so we actually have a lounge room. We kind of have a, we have a mixed purpose lounge room, dining room, entryway at the moment, and we're going to actually have a lounge room in our house. And uh, I'm hoping that all of that happens while we while we're traveling. It'd be so good to come home to a lounge room. Oh, that'd be perfect. Because you, because be you've ideal. been in our mixed use dining room and yeah. lounge room, and it's, it's fine, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's, there's not really a lounge space. Yeah, totally. It would be nice to have that being separate. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. So, yeah, that's what's happening in my world. Uh, Just the old uh, European trip and the lounge room upgrade. And, uh, yeah, life's good. How about you? What's happening in in Melbourne town? I'm coming to the end of Manic May. Uh, So we're recording this on Wednesday the 29th of May. I fly this afternoon to Newcastle to teach OPD for the next two days, which is super cool. I feel very excited. We've got 18 people coming tomorrow and 34 on Friday which is like amazing. So that's really cool. But uh, May has been all about training for me. So by the end of this week, I will have done 11 days of training in May, uh, everywhere from Melbourne to Adelaide to Ararat to Newcastle. 
so yeah, I'm I'm it's been great and energizing, but I'm very tired and I look forward to June maybe calming down a little bit, although I have got three different sets of funeral training that I'm attending as a trainee in June. So Tell us more yes. about that because I, I'm forever interested with people doing training. And obviously you and I are intimately involved in training through the Celebrant Institute, which like, that's literally what we do, uh, um, and training slash mentoring slash coaching slash asking, answering questions. And uh, you know we value it. And uh, But I, I suppose I wanted to ask you why you're attending funeral training. Uh, well, just why? Because a lot of people would hear that and be like, why would Sarah do that? Like she's already really good. But I don't know everything and I always think you can learn new things. So I love going to training. Uh, to I go to workshops. I go to, you know, sort of network events where they've got a speaker. I go to whatever I can find that fits kind of with what I want to do that year because I just think that we should always be learning and that there are always new ideas and I don't think we should uh, forget that, as much as learning new ideas, you can also figure out at training that you're quite happy with the way you're currently doing things. And that's just as legitimate as learning new things. I don't know if we've discussed so, that on the podcast before, but I've had this conversation with someone before that sometimes going to a workshop, going to a seminar, going to training, it's not just about picking up new things, but it's also mm-hmm. about like affirming existing decisions you've made. Absolutely. Yeah, because you, you, so you can have some important. context then. You can say, well, well, Sarah made that decision and Josh made that decision and I made my decision and, and, and I remain confident that that's a valid decision in light of other yeah. people making decisions. Yeah, and I remain content with the choices that I make and with the strategies that I use, whatever it is. And I, I, I find that a lot. Um, I, I often go to a workshop and walk away not necessarily having learned anything new but feeling more assured in my own strategies. And I think that that's very legitimate and should not be sneered at because it's important to – you know, get some clarity that what you're doing, you're actually on the path that works right for you. And the only way that you can figure that out is is by finding out what other people do and going and testing it in your mind and going, oh, do I think I'd like to give that a go? No, that's not going to work for me because of X, Y, Z. I'm quite happy with the way I'm doing it. So in June, I'm on Sunday next week, or Sunday coming, I'm attending a eulogy writing workshop with the lovely Dawn. She's coming down from Brisbane. I'm pretty sure you know Dawn. Absolutely. She's a close friend and a really good yep. chick. And, uh, and I think she's got a lot to teach. She's a really smart girl. Yeah. And I know that she's been in the funeral world for, you know, over 10 years and she's very well regarded. And she's teaching this eulogy writing workshop. And, you know, I I'm think I'm, I'm, think I'm pretty good at writing eulogies, but I don't know Like I've only kind of done it my way. I don't know what someone else is going to say that, you know, this is the way they do it. And I might go, geez, that sounds really amazing. I'm going to give that a shot. So I'm doing that. And then in two weeks, um, I'm a member of the Funeral Celebrant Association of Australia and they do an annual professional development day. And so I'm going along to that. Uh, We've got a, a... and an experienced celebrant talking about storytelling. There's a funeral photographer, John Slater, from who's based in Sydney, has been photographing in the funeral space for about 10 years and his work is sublime. And we're very lucky that he's coming down to talk to us. Funeral photography is an emerging field and people feel a bit weird about it until you look at someone like John's work and 
Uh, the people who use John talk about the fact that, you know, when they're in the midst of their grief and they're, they're you know, going through the motions at the funeral, A, they have no idea who's in attendance and B, they miss a lot of what happens. And that's what he does. He photographs those little uh, things that happen over on the side that nobody's watching and he captures beautiful moments and he tries to get you know, at least one shot of every person in attendance. And it can be a really nice record for the family. So um, pretty stoked to hear from him because his work is incredible. If you just, if you Google funeral photography, you'll find an article that was on the ABC website a couple of years ago with some of his work included. Um, in fact, Josh, I'll send you a link so that you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm looking at that and his website right now. And uh, I am... Um, it- like on a complete aside to the funeral aspect and everything you've just said, um, I'm also completely impressed and in awe at people who continue to find, like they're, they're just breaking new ground. I often yeah. talk to wedding photographers about wedding photography around the idea that uh, our parents didn't get wedding photography like we get wedding photography today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yep. It's a completely different product. If you look at it just like, Get a, take wedding things out of your head. Take if you just look at look at it purely as a product point of view, it's a different product. It's a different price completely point. It's different. a different delivery. Completely yep. different product. And someone, sometime, one day in the last 30, 40 years, has said, "Here's a new product." And yeah. the, and then the market responded to that and said, "That's amazing." And and before you know it, we've we've all got this new product. And and now, uh, if you like even the person who knows the least about wedding photography, they kind of have a generally like a general mm. idea of what a wedding photography product looks like. And if you had have said funeral photographer before, right this second, I would have thought, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like I've even struggled yeah. around the idea. I've had a few uh, funeral um, uh, celebrants ask me about social media and marketing for funeral celebrants, and mm. and in that moments, I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't know, man. Like it's like yeah. like yeah, there's a few, there's a few content ideas, but we're not taking a selfie with the casket. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and that John's work, apart from the fact that he's you know really pioneering and moving into a new field, his work is beautiful. He's a very very talented artist, and I think that that really helps, but. Uh, and you know, I do now that I know about him, I also have been talking to some of my photographer friends in Melbourne and some of them are starting to do funeral photography as well. And I've, I know that I've mentioned it to some of the funeral families that I work with and all of them have gone, Oh, that feels weird. But one day it won't be weird. One day it will be kind of an accepted thing the way wedding photography is. Uh, and and when you look at someone like John's work, you can see how important it is and how valuable uh, it can be for, for a family. So yeah. I'm super excited to hear from him. And, and on a side note to that as well, because I know we're talking about funeral training, but I um, I can say that one of the things I'm most grateful for in regards to giving birth to Luna, apart from the fact that we gave birth to Luna and that was great, <laughs> that, that a side thing that I'm very grateful for is that we had our friend Beck, who's a professional family photographer, uh, she was there for the whole journey photographing it. And so the whole time we were in the hospital, I really didn't think about my phone or taking photos. Mm. But because when there's something important happening in life, it's most of us think, oh, we should get a photo of this, which is a very valid thought. Uh, but thankfully at weddings, we're like, oh, we don't have to get a photo. We've got XYZ photographer doing it. And it was, yeah. I, was, I was happy to have that at our birth uh, of Luna as well. And I think about a funeral, like, you know, it would be great just to have a record of that 
Um, yeah. Whether it's just for your own personal enjoyment and memory, whether it's for sharing on social, it just it, it's because they're all valid things, and it's nice just yeah. to say, "Hey, John, can you take photos?" So I don't have to. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, and I I think that. I think that after I've heard from him, I'd like to have another discussion on the podcast about uh, funeral marketing and and photography and what's okay and what's not. Uh, I think that would be a useful thing, but I would like to hear from John before we go down that path. Well, let's do that. Let's uh, do that real soon. Let's plan that for next time. So, the other training that I'm doing in June is the Silver Celebrant uh, funeral training. So, Robin O'Connell is a funeral celebrant in Melbourne. She's been a funeral celebrant for about 17 years and she's done over two and a half thousand funerals. And she runs this six-day intensive live-in course uh, in Melbourne. She does it two or three times a year and... Uh, it's you know for for funeral celebrants and it's it's kind of mainly designed for new celebrants I guess but uh, I know a lot of people who've done it and have found it very empowering and really useful and I just I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that I do funerals I think I'm pretty bloody good at it quite frankly but I'm the the original training that I had for funerals was pretty shit. Uh, the guy who was the trainer had been a celebrant for six months and had only done funerals of elderly people, which, you know, in the scheme of things are actually pretty easy. He'd never done a tragedy. He'd never done a murder or suicide. He'd never done a child. Uh, and they're the kind of things that you want from a trainer. You want to learn how to do the difficult stuff. And Robin's done it all. So I'm just, you know, a lot of people have said to me, why are you bothering? Like it's you know, you, you've done 80-something funerals, you know what you're doing. Yeah, I know what you're doing, what I'm doing, but I always think it's good to get another perspective and see what else is out there and and look, who knows? I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to come away with it uh, from it with. I might come away quite happy with the way I'm doing my work at the moment, but I suspect I'll come away with a whole bunch of new ideas and, and some new energy, which is, you know, super exciting. Honestly, if if there was if there was an opportunity for me because I, I don't do funerals, but if there was if there was a wedding celebrant opportunity for me to go to a seminar or a workshop or a, a conference like that, I um I would take that. I, I know the guys at the mm. Celebrant Society; they they've got a conference coming up, and I honestly, I literally, I didn't know that that was on when we planned our conference. I I'm just not in that bubble. I, I don't know. I'm weirdly not there. Um, but I so I literally didn't know there was a conference on until I I think I saw I saw Ollie and um and Ben in Sydney and they said he's coming. Like I didn't know it was on. Uh, but and and it doesn't work with my schedule anyway. But if there were opportunities to um for me to uh, to go to things, I would I would like to because mm. I don't think I'm the best in the world. <laughs> like I I don't have this arrogant thought that like there is nothing I can learn. Like. Honestly, I stand in quite a few situations where I think I actually think I could learn quite a lot. Um, yeah, you know, there's absolutely there's things that I'm not good at. There's uh, even uh, people look at um, the more fringe elements of celebrancy, whether it's you know when someone's part, where like mum's passed away, and and that kind of situation. And I don't always know how to respond to that really well. And I, I would like to do some training on those things, or I'd like to attend a, attend a workshop. Um, and so that's. Part of the reason that I was excited about starting the Celebrant Institute with you, part of the reason I was excited about putting a conference on, is because I, I I would like to attend that. And yeah, and there's nothing for me to attend right now, so uh, let's put it on. Like if there's nothing there, we'll make it happen. Yeah, I think uh, the 
you know, we have to, as marriage celebrants, we have to do our five hours professional development a year. And, you know, I've always been amused by the celebrants who've been around for 30 years. They've been celebrants forever. And they say, I don't know why I have to do OPD every year. I know everything. There's nothing for me to learn. And I, re- I actually feel quite sorry for those people who feel like that because I don't think you ever know everything. I don't think anyone can ever know all there is to know about the way we do our work, particularly if you've been in, a, in an industry for 30 years. The world has changed so significantly in the last 30 years, you know, with everything from technology to, you know, government regulations to just, you know, the role of the celebrant in society. How can you possibly know everything? There's always something to learn. And I love learning. I love learning. It's always, it energizes me and it gives me new, new ideas and new thoughts. And I just always really enjoy learning. Part of the reason, uh, and I've already said it with the Celebrant Institute, but the reason I started with the first article, I think it was the first article I wrote, or one of the first articles I wrote on the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, do you remember mm-hmm. this one? Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I remember when I said it to you, you are like, oh, a bit weird, but I get it. And then a lot of people yeah. said that, and I, I said it, bec- I posted it because it's a bit weird, but I wanted people to think about it, that the second you say I, I'm the best or I know everything, like the second you make that statement that you've reached the top of your game, that's the direct indicator that you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> like that means you haven't got it all and that you are probably struggling because to have any measure of intelligence is to think that you're not the best. Yes, absolutely. And it's so funny because – I know that you originally wrote that last year and then you reposted it, I think, on Facebook just last week. And I was teaching the Cert 4 last week and I sat down for lunch with the students and uh, and one of the students started talking about, you know, the people who think they're competent are the ones who not. And I'm like, Josh was just talking about this last night. (laughs) (laughs) That's that Dunning thing. Yeah, Dunning-Kruger. It's a fascinating yeah. study. If you, if you really want to fall down a rabbit hole, like there's been a lot of talks around the Dunning-Kruger effect, a lot of articles written. I'm not the first guy to write about it. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a really good article. Yeah, super interesting. Love it. Uh, so, yeah, so my June's going to be really all about me. Like May was all about me giving knowledge and June's all about me getting knowledge. So that's quite a nice kind of counterpoint, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully July will be a bit quieter because <laughs> – very tired. Well, my challenge to you is that uh, in July that you would actually turn around and not like you've got to respect everyone's intellectual property and you've got to respect everyone's fact that they've delivered workshops and so I'm not asking you to copy and paste and put it on the Celebrant Institute. But something that uh, I, don't, I don't know if people realise this, when, when I write on the Celebrant Institute, I'm not just, I'm not a, like, yes, I'm writing for you. So please, everyone enjoy it and read it and hopefully you learn and you think and you kind of, you're challenged. But I'm equally writing it for myself because as I type and put it into a document press post and as you respond to it and you comment and I comment and we go back and forth um that's that's I'm gonna dare say 51% for me 49% for everyone else like because I'm learning as I teach and as I talk and as I put it out there I'm learning as well and so it's yeah it's 51% for me it's really good (laughs) yeah for sure absolutely I look forward to doing quite a lot of reflecting about what I pick up and starting to put that into my own practice and then writing about how that's working in my own practice. Yeah, it's going to be good. Which is really cool. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we probably should talk about uh, something that's not just about us. 
Um, so <laughs> that's what people I, tune in for. That's that's, that's the good, good stuff. It's true. Um, I uh, I think that most of the people who listen to this podcast will know that I know people. <laughs> and last week was the uh, they every year twice a year the marriage law and celebrant section of the attorney general's department meets with representatives from the celebrant associations. Uh, And last week was their first half of the year meeting. So there were a few things that were discussed at that meeting. And of course, because I know people, I have heard about them and I just so wanted to put them out there. So the first one is the forms review. Oh, this is, this is exciting. No, it's not. Oh, really? What's Okay, you talk. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, they've been working on the current forms review since January 2015. I actually found the other day the file of documents where I redesigned the NOIM in January 2015 because they asked for – they did like a celebrant consultation saying, you know, what do you want new forms to look like? So, that's, you know, four and a half years now. Uh, and then some people will remember that um, in April, two years ago, they gave the associations a version of the paperwork and we all got excited that that was coming soon. And then we thought, oh, maybe they'll ma- wait until marriage equality so they only have to update the forms once. And then marriage equality came and they updated for marriage equality, but they didn't make all the other changes that had come out that April. So then we went, okay, this is weird. And then... Last year in September, they sent out a new norm for celebrant consultation and it was completely stripped back. So some people will remember that there was a lot of fuss from genealogists at the time because it removes everything that's not required by the Marriage Act. So it removes occupation, address, parents' names, countries of birth, uh, how long they've been in Australia, whether they had kids from previous marriages, yada, yada. Everything that was not required by the Marriage Act had been removed. And there was a lot of fuss at the time and they said, that's okay, tell us all your fuss and blah, blah, blah. So now we've kind of been waiting and I was hoping that they were going to say at this meeting last week that the forms are ready and they're coming for the 1st of July. No, that's not what they said. They said they were still waiting to hear from the Australian Bureau of Statistics about uh, the information that they require. I'm kind of calling bullshit on this one, to be perfectly honest, because I really don't think they would have sent it out last September to the celebrants before they heard from the ABS. That seems a bit backwards to me. But anyway, the story is they're still waiting waiting to hear from the ABS. The new plan, the current plan, is that they hope to have them out for the 1st of January and – next year and there'll be a six month transition period like there was in 2014 when the forms changed the last time uh, and then that the com- the, o- the compulsory OPD topic next year will be about filling in the new forms that's you know the current maybe plan but I think that I should just tell everyone not to hold their breaths because every time one of these meetings comes up I get excited that something's actually going to happen and it it's like five years now and nothing's happened So just don't get too excited. Just keep going with the forms you've got and blah, blah. Anyway, so that's uh, piece of information number one. And the other big piece of information that wasn't so much discussed at the meeting, uh, 
but kind of was circulated to the associations at a similar time, was the new fact sheet on celebrants working in uh, an electronic environment. So this is something that we've talked about before because Josh has been really great at advocating for us to be able to cite identity documents via electronic means because that is allowed by the Electronic Transactions Act. And after Josh pushed and pushed and finally got some clarity from the Registrar of Marriage Celebrants, they wrote in the last newsletter, which came out a couple of weeks ago, that you know they are developing a fact sheet about our obligations in an electronic environment and that there might be some changes. So... I believe the associations have until the end of this week to get their feedback in about that fact sheet. I've seen it. It's pretty good. Uh, if the changes that are in that fact sheet come through, it's going to make a big difference to how we do our work, uh, which is really cool. So watch this space. It's coming and hopefully it's coming really soon uh, because, yeah, life will change. The one thing that's not changing, that's still not changing because it requires a change to the legislation is about having to sign two copies of the official marriage certificate on the day. So those of us who work in the eastern states uh, where we can upload our electronic scans of our documents to a BDM registration system, don't have to post them anymore, are questioning why we still have to sign two copies of the official certificate of marriage plus the Form 15. Because obviously previously we had to sign two copies because one stayed with us and one we posted to birthdays and marriages. But now that we're not posting one away anymore, we're just scanning it and uploading it and we're left with two originals, it feels like it's overkill and a bit ridiculous. Well, the response is we do still have to continue to sign two because that's what the Marriage Act says. So if anybody feels very strongly about this, the only thing to do is to lobby your local federal member to suggest an amendment to the legislation to say that uh, in in places where you have electronic registration and you can upload a scan of the uh, signed certificate of marriage to the BDM portal, that we should only have to do one copy. Which sounds really good in theory, but I think that that could get really messy with places that don't have electronic registration and those celebrants thinking that they only have to sign one copy. So it's a bit, I'm not really sure how that would work in practice, uh, you know, because we are one one country and one set of Commonwealth registered marriage celebrants and we've got different rules in different states. So anyway... That's not changing, so don't get excited about that. Please make sure you you are signing two certificates plus the pretty one, the Form 15. Uh, and yes, that – but hopefully in the next few weeks there'll be a fact sheet on electronic uh, – on working in an electronic uh, environment and it will be good. So that's really – like that's the main stuff that happened at the association meeting. Uh, there's, you know, it's always a bit of argy-bargy with – you know, why aren't you telling religious marriage celebrants to do like training and stuff? And MLCS says, because we don't look after religious marriage celebrants, they're looked after by state BDMs. So we can't do anything about that. And anyway, uh, but other than that, yeah, it seems like it was a, not too much happened, which is okay. But uh, yeah, just a bit, bit more of the breaks on for the forms, which is kind of disappointing. I want to come back to the BDM in a second, uh, but also mm. can, um, can I 
I, I, like I'm, I'm not I'm not a person that interprets law, but I because uh, I just wanted to go back to the Marriage Act of 1961, and it's because it, it does say you should the, the celebrant must prepare two certificates, uh, mm-hmm. but also <laughs> in um. In in the, the section four of oh, sorry section fifty part four is that how I no part four section subsection the bit where it talks about section fifty um, subsection a, four it's a, there's there's a section where it says where two official certificates are being prepared do this and this and then it goes part B where only one official certificate has been prepared retain the certificate and deal with it in accordance with the regulations yeah yeah because earlier it says that state and territory officers only <sighs> have to pro- only have to do one okay all right so if you work in the registry office obviously if you work in the registry office you're already at BDM so right. you don't need one for your copy and one to send to BDM okay. so they only do one well and cuz so that this isn't related but this is actually where I, where I want to get back to the um the Queensland BDM has been uh, going pretty hard on pushing itself as a registry, as a place to get married. It's been calling itself a wedding venue. It's been doing social media marketing. It's had open nights. Open nights? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, God, it's great. You follow them on Facebook. It's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're calling the people that marry the people, they're calling them celebrants. Mm. And uh, come and meet our celebrants. Uh, and it almost sounds like you're actually getting a choice of person who marries you, which I'm sure, sure you do. But and, and I haven't delved further into this, but it kind of irks me. Does it kind of irk you? Um, only because you're telling me that it maybe should. <laughs> because they are celebrants. They are? So every, yes. Everyone. But they're state officers. So, they're not celebrants. St- no. Wait. Hold your horses. So... There are four categories of celebrants. Category A is ministers of recognised denominations. Category B is state and territory officers. Category C is us, Commonwealth Registered Marriage Celebrants. And category D is Commonwealth Registered Marriage Celebrants who perform religious ceremonies for independent organisations or who identify as religious marriage celebrants for the purposes of marriage equality. The umbrella term, excuse me for a moment while I cough, The umbrella term covering all four of those categories is authorised celebrant. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. That's why the whole thing a bit weird. Mm. And I suspect that they don't get a choice. I suspect they get whoever's wrong. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. But um, they are well within their rights to call themselves celebrants because authorised celebrant is the umbrella term. All right. That's fair. Uh, They they did a post on May 9 um, uh, promoting their open day. And it goes, uh, are you and your partner searching for an affordable yet picturesque wedding venue? Well, look no further than the Brisbane Registry in the heart of Brisbane City. Meet one of our celebrants, Jacob, pictured, and some of our ceremony team on Thursday, 16th of May, 2019, from 4.30 to 6, to witness in person our breathtaking ceremony. Breathtaking. Free to attend. Breathtaking. Yeah. Do they have a view? Yeah. Yeah, so they're 30 stories up. Oh, see, the Melbourne ones don't have a view. The Melbourne ones are in Old Parliament House, and they're... but. Like yes, it's a view, but it's like it's just overlooking the city. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeming like a bitter old man. You are and, a little and bit. Can I just, yeah. can I just say on the record, like I'm not one of those guys. Like oh, the new celebrants are ruining it for the old celebrants. <laughs> like I'm not that guy. I, I welcome more competition, but I just feel like the registry is is just operating on a different level. Um, and 
and which actually brings me to a funny story I wanted to tell you. Uh, one of my couples that I'm marrying in Italy next year, uh, they live in Melbourne. And so when I have couples like that, before we leave for that trip, uh, on one of my trips to Melbourne, I'll say, I'll marry you then. And she goes, cool, tell me what day and I'll book the registry office. Oh. I said, oh. No. I said, no. 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 <laughs> it's cool. No, no, need to, no need to do that. Uh, I'll just, uh, I said, we'll just do it in the cafe. She was, and because in between the two emails, she'd gone and contacted the registry office and she's got the prices. And like, I said, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not like that. No. And uh, I just thought it was really interesting that she had that kind she's of She's certainly view. not the only one. I've had people contact me before saying, we're getting married at the re- registry office. Can we book you? And I'm like, no, that's I, like, I'm not allowed to do weddings at the registry office. That's not how it works. Um, yeah. You go to the registry office and you get a registry officer. Uh, and and I've actually had conversations with some people and I've said to them, you can, like, if you book me, you can literally get married anywhere you want. They're like, but we really want to get married at that building. <laughs> but, but surely you don't. Have yeah, you, I know. Have you, seen, <laughs> have you seen the building? It's a government building. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. But, yeah, some, some people are very confused. Uh, you know, I, it's probably something to do with the American, you know, getting married at the courthouse type of... I don't like. I don't know, but the world is confusing. The world is confusing, yeah. and I, I don't know. Have you ever met? Have you ever met a human? Humans are weird. Humans are weird and also confusing, and and I include myself in that because I am very confusing. I it's <laughs> and you're a bit weird I'm as well. Definitely weird. I'm very very weird. This morning I had brunch with my neighbour, and I got in her car and she said, "Are you wearing like some kind of musky perfume?" I said, "No, I don't." I don't wear perfume. And she went, oh, why not? And I said, oh, because I'm too lazy. And she just <laughs> laughed at me and said, you're the most honest person ever. <laughs> you just say, I don't wear perfume because I'm lazy. Um, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's the truth. Like, why would I tell you anything else? So I'm a bit weird. Amen. But I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, registry office, such a delight. Such a delight, Sarah. Uh, we should probably have a bit of a chat about Victorian BDM because... Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. The shit show that is Victorian BDM Online. It's just... So, some of our listeners will know that... Uh, so, the the current system, Rio, Registry Information Online, went live on the 19th of February this year. And the original plan was that three months after Go Live, everyone who did a wedding in Australia, in Victoria, would have to use this system. Yeah, they're nowhere near making it compulsory at this point because it's such a mess. I um, I feel I feel very, very sorry for the people on the ground at BDM because they must be copying it left, right and centre. But this is the worst implemented IT system I've ever seen. So, they're current, what's currently happening – okay – step back from that. The first thing I want to say is that in early March, I recorded a video of myself using Rio and it, and I put that up available in the Celebrant Institute shop for $20 and a lot of people have been viewing it. There's been a lot of changes made to Rio since I recorded that video and I'm going to do a new one, but it just has to wait until next week uh, because the way the system's laid out and various other things have changed. So they are being really responsive and they are making changes uh, to the way the system looks and feels and all those sorts of things uh, in response to our requests. My biggest issue at the moment is just with their communication. So, 
when they first uh, implemented the system, they accidentally pressed the button that meant that when you uploaded, when you submitted a marriage, it automatically registered it automatically with nobody looking at the paperwork. It's not supposed to do that. So uh, basically what was happening was that you'd you'd submit a marriage and five seconds later it would be registered and you'd go, oh, my God, amazing. And then the only way they were checking it is if the couple or the celebrant applied for their official BDM marriage certificate. When the marriage certificate was printed – Before it got posted out, they would look at that marriage and go, was the marriage registered appropriately? So obviously that wasn't going to work because that's not a good strategy. Not all couples order a certificate straight away. Uh, What if they registered a marriage and then found a problem with it and then unregistered it? Like that's just messy. So they turned off the automatic registration at the start of April, but they didn't tell anyone. They didn't bother to tell to send an email to all celebrants saying, hey guys, you know how your marriages have been registering in five seconds? That's not going to happen anymore. So a whole bunch of people freaked out and went, how come my marriages aren't registering anymore? Have I done something wrong? What's, what's happened to it? So that was problematic until a few people rang BDM and they said, oh yeah, we've just turned that automatic thing off. Great. Okay, that's great guys, but you need to tell us. Since they turned that off, it feels like they haven't registered a single marriage. It feels like they've just kind of thrown their hands in the air and gone, it's too hard. And about, I want to say about four weeks ago, they sent out an email to all celebrants saying, we are committing to sending you an email every week, updating you on where we're at with the timeframes for registering marriages. And for several weeks, they've been saying it's 26 business days. Now, let's remember since the beginning of April, we've had Easter and Anzac Day. So there's been quite a few public holidays in there. But uh, I sat down last week and I counted and I had two weddings that were at 32 business days since submission. And I started to hear on the grapevine that celebrants were ringing up BDM and saying, hey, I've got this wedding and it hasn't been registered and it's more than 26 days. And they're going, oh, no problem, and doing it on the spot. Just like that. And I was like, that surely, like, that's not a good process, like waiting for the celebrant to ring. They surely don't want to hear from two and a half thousand celebrants saying, hey, can you register my overdue marriages? But I heard it from enough people and I got to, you know, yesterday when my those marriages from the 6th of April were at 35 business days and I rang up and I got through very quickly and I spoke to the lovely Marielle and she said, yep, just give me the, like, the notification numbers of the marriages that are overdue and I will work through them today and register them for you. And I've opened my email this morning and they've all been registered. I've had the email notifications that they've been registered. That is, I I have a real problem with this. They can't, surely in a system like this, the way it works is that it creates some kind of workflow so that I submit it and the marriage goes into a big long list of all the marriages that are waiting to be registered and it goes in at wherever it is in the queue and there's somebody sitting in the office working through that queue Surely that's how it's meant to work, but they're quoting 26 business days for registration and things are still not being done at 35. So basically the advice right now 
is if you have marriages sitting in your submitted list that have been there for more than 26 business days, ring BDM. So it's the one three hundred. I think it's one three hundred three six nine three six seven. From memory, is the the number that you ring and you press three for stakeholder inquiries, and they're answering that number within about ten minutes in general, which is really great. And the thing is that the people who answer that line are so lovely and so nice that you don't want to get angry at them, <laughs> even though you feel really angry and you feel really annoyed that they're that the system's not working. You, it's a bad system. It's a bad like, system. I, I, I didn't realise it was like this. I've just logged in. My I've got a marriage from the 30th of April. Mm, yeah. And I suppose that's... Well, that's well, not. That's, 20th. that's not. Tw- so mine yesterday that were at 35 days were from the 6th of April. That's, that's really so bad. So I'm now, I've now had them registered up to... The last wedding that's been registered was on the 17th of April. And that's been registered today. This morning, and that's that's one of the ones that I rang up about. That's not that somebody's found that in the queue and they've done it. That's one of the ones that I rang up about. So, like, it, it's not a good strategy for them to say, "Yeah, celebrants need to call us and tell us which ones are overdue." Like, what? <laughs> so, I wonder what would happen if I mailed the stuff in. No, they're saying in the last email they sent, um, that well, if you mail stuff in on its own. You'd have no, you would have no way of finding out when that marriage is registered because you don't get a notification. Um, the only way you're going to find out is when the couple applies for their certificate. Uh, so who knows how long that's taking. But in the email they sent last week, the regular email they sent last week, they said, please make sure you don't put it in through the online system and mail it because then we've got duplicate processes going on and the, like it just causes a big nightmare. So don't do that. But I just, I don't, like somebody said to me in one of the groups yesterday, because I was saying, you know, I've got marriage just 35 days. And they said, don't wait. Like, don't wait. They're not going to get to them. You have to call them. I literally, I'm, I'm actually, I don't, I'm, I can't understand how that's a thing. How a system can have been set up and that it's working in a way that nobody is sitting there working through the queue. How does that, so you know, the email that came out on Friday that said 26 business days, I responded to that and I said, please stop quoting 26 business days. The, I've got marriages sitting at 35 business days and I'm not the only one. Uh, you know, please, like, you, like just be be realistic with us about this is what the time frame is and this is what we're doing to fix it. Because at the moment, they're sending out the email every week and it's the same number, which doesn't look like they're doing anything. And if we're having to ring up to get our overdue, it's like they're stuck somewhere. It's like they're in kind of some weird marriage purgatory thing. But I just, I'm completely baffled at how, like, how is this happening? I know that for death certificates, it's a real problem as well. Marriage certificates, yeah, people want to get their marriage certificate so they can change their name and that's all lovely. And some people need a marriage certificate for like visa purposes. So that's more important. But a death certificate, you can't, like, often you can't get access to, like, the estate or the bank accounts or anything until you've got a death certificate. Like, this can be, you you can't pay for the funeral until you've got the death certificate. You can't, you know, um, sell the house or do anything until you've, like, this is a problem. So I know Neil Mitchell, who's one of the shock jocks down here, he did an item on it a few weeks ago about the disaster with the death certificates. I know that people are making complaints to the ombudsman. I, You know, that's all 
I, I, I feel for BDM. I feel for the people on the ground and I don't really know what the solution is. It's very frustrating at the moment. I think that uh, we should be telling our couples that they're looking at a minimum of eight weeks before they get their marriage certificate at the moment. You know, we're almost blown out to the 10 weeks of early 2015, which is the worst it ever was in Victoria. So we need to be telling our couples that they're looking at eight weeks. We need to be keeping on top of it. And when marriages are getting past the 26 days, we need to be ringing BDM which is not a good strategy long term and I and I hope they're going to do something about it. The Victorian BDM reps were supposed to go to that meeting with MLCS and the associations last week and they they were a no show. Which is not also not good. They just this is, didn't um, turn this up. This is a really bad situation. It's and really I was bad. about to say like uh, is someone going to um to Neil Mitchell or someone going yeah. to uh, like like their local member like, have, has, have people talked to their local member? Because that's kind of – like obviously, there's the ombudsman and whatnot. They're all valid points. But the, the local member is kind of your touch point for state government issues, the local state member, that is. But I, uh, I think that if I went to my local state member, they're going to write a letter to BDM. BDM's going to put that in the pile of all the other letters, which they might get to in 10 weeks if we're lucky, and they're going to write back a letter saying, yeah, we're doing everything we can. Yeah, no, but it needs to be – I, I suppose if, if enough people do enough, if enough yeah. people talk about it, then because um, they've just got to obviously throw some money at it. They're like, like, they're not dealing with obviously they are dealing with new problems, but it's not an unsolvable problem. No, it's just like it, it could be that they haven't got enough staff. It could be like maybe the IT guys didn't build a workflow. Which, by the way, if that is the case, then they're terrible people. Well, but they bought uh, a product. They bought a piece of software. It should all that should all be built in. And New South Wales deals with it fine. Like I know, the New South Wales system is. I, and I know, fine. I know. And people keep saying, "Why is this a problem? It works fine in in New South Wales." New South Wales has had this software in place for a lot longer, and I I suspect that when it was first implemented, there must have been teething issues as well. Maybe not to quite this extent, but you know, I don't think we can compare a system that's been in place for multiple years with something that's brand new. Um, there are always, yeah, there were always going to be teething issues, but I just think they need to communicate better. Uh, and they need to say, you know, and like when they make a change to the way that data is entered in the portal, tell us like time just arrived last week. Suddenly we have to enter the time of the marriage that wasn't there. That's just appeared. Well, so send us an email saying, hey, guys, from now on, you'll need to enter the time. You know, that weekly email that they're sending out with the registration timeframe, put a little thing in there that says, this is the changes that we've made to the database this week. You know, I noticed last week, so there was a, there was a problem previously where party one's address was in a smaller font than party two's address. So when the official certificate of marriage and the Donlim came out, it, it all looked a bit shit because they were in different size fonts. That was fixed last week. Great. So tell us so that we can go, yay, you fixed something at the same time as we're going, yeah, but you're being a bit shit about something else. You know, like at least give us something to congratulate you about and don't just let us kind of discover it. Tell us. Yeah, we've made that change that you've been asking for. Yes, it no longer says on the Don Lim, I am a divorced. It now says... I am a person who is divorced. You know, like they've changed things like that. Great. Awesome. Shout it from the rooftops. Tell us. 
because, you know, we can be happy about those things, even though we are totally not happy about many other things. So yeah, for me, it's just about communication. If they communicated better, if they were open with us about the problems that they're having, if they were open about the way the system worked or didn't work, if they said in an email, like all the marriages from the first half of April are stuck, you need to call us so that we can find them because they're not turning up in a queue or whatever it is, rather than pockets of celebrants having to find this out and try and disseminate it through their networks. I think that's the thing I'm most frustrated about is that we're having to do the work for them, which is not Talking about really doing okay. uh, the work for people, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, everything you've said is very valid, but I also wanted to, uh, want to move on to a different topic. Oh, sure. Yeah, we can do that. Now that I've had my, I've had my BDM rant, and just for those of you who, who have bought my video, I am going to do a new version next week. So, yeah. Okay, moving on from BDM. Do you, actually, just on a side note, do, do you appreciate that every couple of weeks when I have to use Victorian BDM, it's like I'm experiencing it fresh and I just start a text <laughs> chain with you and like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I did, did I, I can't remember if this was post-Queensland or pre-Queensland because I've been joking that I'm like the BDM help desk and that I should just answer my phone with, hello, BDM help desk. <laughs> and then someone actually rang me last week and I said, good morning, Sarah speaking. She said, is this the BDM help desk? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, anyway, yes. Well, talking about help desks, I wanted to talk about celebrant associations. Yeah. Uh, because and because there's two angles to attack this from. One is that someone emailed us this week saying, um, hey, I'm just checking out the different celebrant associations and wondering why I should join yours, which is something we'll address in a second. Uh, but the, the other angle is um, about the purpose of celebrant associations, why we are or aren't members of them, which kind of comes in the back of an article that I wrote for the Celebrant Institute members this week. Uh, you can view that at uh, celebrant.institute as a website um, about how to leave your celebrant association. And uh, and so I first, uh, first thought we could start with, um, Sarah, if people are comparing us against all the other celebrant associations, how do you respond to that? We are not an association. The Celebrant Institute is not an association. That's not what we do. We are a membership platform where people can pay us some money to access our brains. Does that sound fair? Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So you pay us a little bit of money once a month and you can ask Josh and me any question that you like at all about anything celebrancy related and even sometimes things that are not so celebrancy related, which is fine too. Uh, and you can ask us anything and then we'll, um, we'll answer you straight away and we'll, we'll write a blog post about it and so that other people can learn from it as well. We are an information providing service, not an association. Yeah, that's good. So if you're comparing us against other celebrant associations, that's it's really hard to do. Very um, hard. We're just not that's one. not what we are. <laughs> uh, but what we do do is offer advice and support. You can ask questions. We write articles. And, and hopefully everyone's enjoying our Facebook page. I put a lot of effort into sharing stuff in there recently. And uh, so hopefully it is very helpful. But uh, I, I wanted to frame um, that conversation around leaving a celebrant association, which obviously starts the question with, which is, why are you or why aren't you a member of different celebrant associations? And because uh, I started having that question this week when I started getting emails from the AFCC and the mm-hmm. AMC, who are um, I'm members with, about renewals. And I thought, oh, why am I a member of these associations? And I thought I could answer 
I mean, you can answer yeah. yours while you are or aren't. Uh, and then um, and then how I came to the decision that I'm going to leave and, and how I'm kind of framing that. So uh, I, uh, I believe at the current moment I currently am a member, uh, but uh, that is about to expire of both the Australian Marriage Celebrants Association, AMC, who have the website uh, marriagecelebrants.org.au, I think is the mm-hmm. address. And I am or am about to end uh, my membership with the AFCC, which is afcc.com.au, the Australian Federation of Civil Celebrants. The reason I was a member of those two associations, the AFCC, um, when I joined, it looked to be the most active, the most kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the most Josh-ish kind of association. Like, it looked like the kind of association that Josh might join. Uh, and, and I don't really know how I got to that point, but I thought, you know what, that'd be good. It'd be good to network with people to, you know, and and I saw that there was opportunities for them to to lobby for us or to liaise with the different government departments and I thought, cool, that's that's what I want to be involved in. I'm going to put my money there. What is it, like two or 100 a year, yep. something like that? And uh, I thought, that's great. And there's a Facebook group. And and uh, at that time, I had gotten out of um, the uh, the Facebook groups that I'd started because they all kind of turned really ugly, and um, and I didn't like that. So I thought I'm going to associate with a different group of celebrants who might not want me um, to to die in a pit of hell. And uh, and so I joined there. It turned out uh, they wanted the same of me. And so I've been a member for a while, and I thought maybe I can change that from the inside. I'll try and maybe I'll try and um, volunteer and join the committee. And uh, the, the 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 leadership of the AFCC has actively tried to make me not become a member of the committee, which is fine. So I'm just going to leave uh, because uh, I might sound like I'm bitching and whining, but I says I'm just communicating the facts as to why I'm leaving, and that's why. So they did actually change the rules for how long you had to be a member of the AFCC before you could be on the committee so that Josh couldn't be on the committee. So this is he's not just bitching and whining. They did actually change the rule to exclude him. Yeah. Yeah, that's how much they love me. Yeah. Um, if you guys are listening, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. Um, the AMC uh, equally looked like a kind of nice place for me to be, plus also I ranked really well on SEO. And uh, and they actually, um, they still consistently, I probably get an inquiry a week off the AMC website. Oh, okay. the, the problem is zero, absolutely zero of those inquiries have ever converted to work. Oh. Um, and so what I've realised is that I'm paying whatever their membership fee is, what is it, two or hundred as well, probably something like that, um, a year to receive more emails that actually cost me time but make me no money. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm just I'm leaving both the associations because I thought, well, why? Like, why am I submitting myself to these processes? Why am I submitting myself to these, um, to the fees, to the the, the everything? Um, the, the extra emails, like it's very rare for me to get an email from an association that is helpful to me. I've usually found out that information myself. The uh, the, uh, the Attorney General's office is getting better and better at communicating things. Every now and then an association kind of has some hashtag breaking news, but it's it's rare. And normally I'll probably just get that through you and the yep. Settlement Institute. So I, I didn't know why I would still be a member. And so I kind of broke it down into a few things that I thought mattered. Uh, we're talking about insurance, uh, community, um, OPD discounting and that kind of thing. And I've written an article on the Celebrant Institute as, as to how you would leave a Celebrant Institute, uh, how would you leave a Celebrant Association um, and and things you might want to cover. We're talking uh, uh, copyright licenses, we're talking insurance, that kind of thing. So, uh, Sarah, back to you. Um, uh, are you a member of any associations? And and you actually don't have to answer if you don't want to. You no, don't I'm have happy to. You throw yourself under the bus. Uh, and... 
and are you or aren't you continuing memberships and why? Sure. So when I first became a celebrant, um, you know, at the training, they kind of said you should become part of an association. And I thought that sounded super sensible because, you know, uh, associations are like professional associations are good for you. Uh I was a bit surprised to find out how many associations there are. I think I counted last week and there's like 13 at the moment. Some of them are national and some of them state-based. But I joined three when I first started. Uh, so I joined the International College of Celebrancy Alumni and Friends, which is Daly Messenger's college and his uh, his association. And I joined them because, you know, Daly was the second ever appointed celebrant and he – you know, seemed to – I thought when I first started he'd be a good person to know and stuff. So I joined that. I joined the Association of Civil Marriage Celebrants of Victoria, which was just a state-based, Victorian state-based one. And then I joined the AFCC as well. Uh, by the end of my first year, I had dropped the ICCA membership. Uh, I really found that the vast majority of the people who were in that association were – uh, graduates of Daly's College, and it was a little bit like a cult. Uh, it was a bit – I remember going to a networking meeting and uh, sitting at the table and the, we had to introduce ourselves by saying our name and who our mentor was. And 95% of the people in that room said, Daly, you're my mentor. And it just felt a bit – weird. I didn't feel particularly welcomed because I hadn't studied with them and it just all felt a bit strange and a bit old-fashioned. So, I left them. Can I just say, if you were going to start a cult, and I'm not saying that Daly has, (laughs) but having the last name messenger is a pretty sick way to to be a cult leader. Like, I'd probably change my name to messenger if I wanted to start a cult. Am I am I wrong? <laughs> I don't think I'm no, wrong. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I was part of the ACMCV, and my f- oh, my second year, I think I went to OPD that they put on, and basically my friend Meg and I were the youngest in the room by about twenty years. There, it was basically a bunch of sixty-year-old women, sixty-plus-year-old women bitching about how all the young people have stolen our work. And there would have been easily 60 or 70 people in that room. And it did not feel very comfortable at all. Uh, And then I went along, I went to their Christmas party, which at which they served party pies and sausage rolls and had a band who performed hits from the 1940s. And that didn't really feel like my people. And then I went along to their AGM and discovered that they had over $100,000 sitting in a term deposit. And I questioned them as to like why that would be. Like why would you – like when you, when you join a not-for-profit association and you pay the membership fees, you expect them to spend those membership fees on things for the members. Like I think that's a fair assumption. And I, so I didn't understand how, how they could have saved up $100,000 when the membership fees were $50 a year. That's a lot of members' funds that you haven't spent on the members. And that made me very concerned that they had all the, they were hoarding all this money away and not spending it on the current members. Uh, and they also had a Facebook group that was 
yeah, again, pretty unpleasant with people just not really connecting and and really, yeah, being being not very nice to newer or younger celebrants. So I dropped that. I've stayed with the AFCC because they are the biggest uh, the biggest association. They have a little over 2,000 members now. And I've stayed with them not because I'm thrilled. Uh, I went to their conference last year and it was bloody awful and I vowed on the spot to not renew my membership. However, the main reason that I belong to an association now in year six of my celebrant career is for access to information. So the associations do have a line to the Attorney General's Department that I don't have. Uh, I send an email to the AGD and they might deign to respond to me six months later, whereas I know that people at the AFCC talk on the phone to the registrar on a semi-regular basis. They go to meetings with them at least twice a year, sometimes more. So they have access to those people and to information that I personally don't have. So that is the reason that last week I paid my membership renewal for the AFCC. I think for a new celebrant, it's really good to join some kind of association because you do need to start building a network in some way. An association might be the way you join it. You find a network. You might find your network by stalking people on social media and then asking them if you can buy them a coffee one day. You might build a network by going along to networking events and things like that. But an association can be a good starting point and it's also a good entry point for insurance and copyright license and all those kinds of things that that an, uh, that an association just does and you don't have to think about it. So when you're starting out, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, I know that some celebrants, the AFCC does a lot of marketing and, uh, you know, every celebrant... It's, it's not all good though. No, it's not good. <laughs> every pretty bloody terrible. Every celebrant has, you know, like a four-page mini website on the AFCC website and blah, blah, blah. I like as far as I'm concerned, marketing me is my job. That's not yeah. why I belong to an association. My number one reason for belonging is for access to information that I can't access myself. So I'm not really interested in them spending money on terrible marketing. I would much rather them, you know, when they go to meet and now this is something that I argued with them quite a lot about last year. I said we are our membership fees pay for two of you to go to Canberra twice a year to go to this MLCS and associations meeting. I want to hear what happens at that meeting. I want you to come out and send us an email, send all the members an email saying, we've just been to this meeting and this is what happened. And Stacey Maguire, who was the secretary of the AFCC said, it's not our meeting. We can't report on it. That's rubbish. I have to say it's, that's pretty terrible. It's not your meeting, so you can't write minutes. I totally agree with that. I'm not asking for minutes. I'm asking for you as our association representatives to say, to pass on the information that you picked up to your members who have paid for you to go. So after I had that rather robust discussion with them. <laughs> robust discussion. In February last year. <laughs> Anthony did. Anthony Burke, the president, did agree uh, that in the monthly newsletter, the month after the meetings, he would he would include a report that would have like his three main takeaways from uh, from the meeting. So 
I expect that, that the June newsletter should come out next week and I would expect it to have at least the three main takeaways that, that the AFCC has taken away for its members. I don't think it's okay for the AFCC, for members to pay for them to go and for them to not report back to the members. That's why I pay. And that's why, like, they're there to represent us. So they need they to report back to us. And so that's why I stay. I'm still there. I don't love it. I don't, there's, you know, a lot of things that I really, really don't love about it. Uh, I'm pretty riled up about their training uh, strategy at the moment. So they've got two major training strategies they're rolling out at the moment. The first one is the AFCC Fellowship, which is only available to the people who attend the conference. Now, last year, less than 10% of the membership went to conference and this year they're saying – so this year they're saying if you go to conference, for the six months prior to conference, you'll get a, a thing once a month with some self-lad activities that you can work through to improve your business. And then after you've come to conference, you'll get an AFCC fellowship certificate if you finish all those activities and you'll get a lapel pin and you can say that you're an AFCC fellow. And I've seen people ask on the Facebook group, can I pay – some money to do the fellowship. I can't go to conference because I have a full-time job. I have small children. I can't be away from my family. I, whatever the reason is, I can't go to conference, but I really want to do the fellowship. And the response has been, the fellowship is only available to those people who value their career enough to invest in it by going to conference. And quite frankly, I find that disgusting, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I value my career very highly and I go to a lot of training, but that doesn't mean that I can afford to go to their conference every year. And I should be able to partake in a membership benefit. If I'm, I'd be willing to pay for it, uh, but I just can't afford to get to, you know, when you add in flights and accommodation and the registration and food and, you know, you're looking at $1,500 plus. It's a lot of money. So, and there's also there was the exciting trip to the museum oh, that you missed out on by not going to conference. Don't even. And then the other um, training strategy they've got this year, they're introducing the Master of Funeral Celebrancy. This is not a master's program that you would you know go to university for. This is a we're going to make it up and we're going to call it a master, which they really shouldn't. And basically what you have to do is you have to go along to the funeral training that is run by Rose Training, who I'm really sorry, but they provide pretty much the worst funeral training in the country. Uh, you have to go to their two-day face-to-face course and then you have to do all of their assessment tasks for the three units of competency that they cover in that course. And only once you've done that can you access the ongoing professional development in funerals that the AFCC is putting together for the Master of Funeral Celebrancy. Now, I am investing in myself by going to three funeral courses in June. They are courses that I have very specifically chosen because the trainer is someone I respect or the content looks really interesting or whatever it is. I don't think that I should have to go back to the start and do more basic funeral training in order to access professional development opportunities in the funeral space. 
it's it's not okay. It's not okay at all. They're you know they're kind of saying, oh you know you could do recognition of prior learning, and so that RPL is bloody hard work, and it's almost easier to just go and do the course than it is to do the RPL. So that's not really useful. You know, someone like Robin O'Connell is an AFCC member and she can't access the Master of Funeral Celebrancy despite having been a funeral celebrant for 17 years and done over two and a half thousand funerals. That's that's not okay. So I'm super unimpressed with their kind of training strategy at the moment, but I'm I have continued to provide them with a bit of money because I want the access to the information that I can't get myself. It's the only reason I stay. So, uh, look, just asking for a friend, uh, but uh, assuming if you stay and there's something important they send out, you might just uh, communicate it with another friend? Yeah, totally. Yeah, good, good. good. Yeah, cool. yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, like, so a lot of that's yeah, – the stuff that I've talked about today that – um, about the MLCS and associations meeting last week, I've had from a number of different sources, none of which are actually the AFCC because they haven't sent anything out yet. So my informal networks will possibly do that information gathering anyway, but I just I still think it's useful for me to be in there just in one association, just in case they're, just in case all of the people that I know and love fall off the earth tomorrow and can no longer provide me with information. <laughs> good idea. I mean, my informal networks are pretty strong. You know, I always say that, I always say to couples when I'm talking about what happens if I get sick, that I think within one or two degrees I'm connected to every celebrant in Melbourne. So I do have a massive network and that network will continue to provide me with that information. But... I will still give of give my two hundred and five dollars to the AFCC. So, final topic for the uh, podcast today, and it can be a brief one. But I was tagged in a Facebook post, um, a friend of a friend. Uh, the friend is considering becoming a celebrant, just looking for advice. So, a friend tags me in, and uh, and I, I was a late starter to the conversation. Uh, the post was maybe not twenty four hours, and everyone's in there going. Uh, literally, one guy said, uh, "From what I understand, it's uh, it's only um, it's barely good as a hobby. No one really makes much money from it, like, which is something that it's a trigger for you and I." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, and so I had my piece of advice uh, for this aspiring new celebrant, but uh, before I gave mine, um, I wanted to uh, see uh, like like so. You've just been tagged in it. What does Sarah post? Uh, it's really hard. The reason yeah. the reason that question is really hard for me at the moment is because I'm mired in Cert 4 stuff and my head is in the way I respond to a Cert 4 student uh, or a potential Cert 4 student who, who, you know, comes to me as a Cert 4 provider and says, you know, I, I want to study this, how much do you charge? And because that's always the question. And, uh, and then they ask various other things and – I'm always very honest with them and I know that some of the other RTOs are not quite as honest with them about the amount of work they're going to have to do and all those sorts of things. I guess, okay, so my number one piece of advice for aspiring celebrants is if you are, if you want to be a celebrant just so you can marry one set of friends, don't do it because it's a lot of work and a lot of money. It's a lot of work and actually on that note, if there's just if you want to marry Jack and Jill at their wedding next year, just – just be a blow Joe and get. It doesn't have to be Sarah and I. No. Like it's not even about Sarah and I making it. Get get some other celebrant. Get 
It can be Sarah, right? And uh, and just to come in and, and well, do the legal I, stuff. Yeah, well, what I generally do in that situation is um, I'll uh, I usually come in if I've got to be there for the ceremony. Like if that's important, I'll just come in at the signing time and I'll just do the monitum and the legal vows in that point because I, I don't want to do it as part of the ceremony. I like I don't want to kind of make the celebrant look like you know, hey, Josh is going to tap on in and do some legal stuff. Uh, or what's more common is I'll do it the morning of or the later afternoon of something like that. Uh, that's always my advice because because you're looking. I'm, I'm assuming you're looking at like oh, minimum two hours so to get involved these days, aren't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and not just the the financial investment, but you're looking. It's a good twelve months of work. It's a lot. Just the current cert for is a lot of work, and so you're looking at you know working on it for six to twelve months and and paying two thousand dollars, and then you're looking at. Uh, you know, paying $600 to apply to be registered and that could take you three months to get registered. So this is, a, you know, it's a long time period and a lot of, it's a big investment to become a celebrant. So that's my number one thing is when people say, I'm, I want to be a celebrant so I can marry my friends. I go, yeah, don't, this is not, this is not for you. Uh, if you want to be a celebrant because you want to be a celebrant, then yes, come on in, come and join us. But no, that it's not easy and you're not going to make a million dollars in your first year. You know, we the Yeah, that's definitely it's a year two thing. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the common sort of numbers that are that are thrown around is that it takes five years to establish a business, to establish a small business. And I didn't break even, it took me three years to break even to make back the money that I had spent. So you know, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's it's certainly a great creative pursuit if you, you know, I know a lot of people who have kids and they, they, they don't want to go back to working in retail or whatever it is they did before they had kids, but they want something that's theirs and it's, yep, good for them. It's a great creative pursuit for people who work in a corporate nine-to-five job during the week. It might be something that gets their creative juices flowing on the weekend and and that's great. But, yeah, just be aware that it's it's certainly not just standing up in front of some people for 20 minutes on a Saturday. There's a lot more work involved in that. And so I suppose I, suppose I don't – like I don't sort of aim to scare people away – but when an aspiring celebrant comes to me, I aim to be honest with them and to be realistic and to make sure that they are being realistic about what they're getting into. Oh, you've scared me away. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Hanging out the boots. Do we, do, we, do we have special celebrant boots? <laughs> I'm sure someone does. <laughs> um, my advice uh, and what I posted is this, and uh, this is this is just my uh, templated advice I give to anyone that goes, do you reckon I should become a celebrant mm-hmm. and that kind of thing? Uh, it's this. There's there's enough average celebrants. There's enough bad celebrants. There's enough celebrants that are doing it as a hobby. There's enough celebrants that are doing it to fund retirement. There's enough celebrants that are just kind of, um, and this phrase isn't indicative of the ones I've just said, but there's enough celebrants that don't care. Mm-hmm. There's enough celebrants that are tired of it. There's enough, there, there's enough of those people. Those those market positions are well catered for. What there's not enough of is celebrants that are really, really, really dedicated to really giving a shit about this. Like celebrants that are like caring. Yeah. And when I say caring, I don't mean like you've got a caring nature, but you give a shit about being a celebrant. Like there's, there's not enough of those. And I'm not saying that those that do exist are not enough, but there's 
there's positions available. There's positions available for celebrants that are really, 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 really good. Yeah. And if you are looking to become a celebrant, then perhaps aim for that. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Aim to be amazing. Hopefully people aim to be amazing in everything they do. Yeah. But, you know, it is such a big investment now in time and money that if you're not aiming to be amazing, you're just, you're wasting your time. Yeah, like find something that you can be amazing at if you don't want to be amazing at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there comes yeah, the plane. I, I am, yeah. There's the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been my, I've been turning my mic off and on while the planes go over and it's been well timed, but we Not that time, that one. not that time. <laughs> there, there, there's a celebrant who I've been um, following um, as he became a celebrant and his thing was he wanted to be the cheapest celebrant. And, uh, and, and I don't know the guy and I think he's literally called the cheap celebrant. And my heart just breaks from that he... He thinks that's a position that needs to be catered for. They're like, there's not enough cheap celebrants. Like, no, there is, man. Like, get on Gumtree. They're there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there's not enough of the celebrants that are running a sustainable business. Celebrants that will still be in business in a couple of years' time. Although, that, no, that, hang on. I'm going to challenge you on that. I don't yeah. – I. it's quite possible that the cheapest celebrant out there is running a sustainable business because they might do 300 five-minute ceremonies a year. Oh, yeah, sure. But let's be honest, they're not. So, yeah. but, but they might. Challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, I'm going to give the email. <laughs> you know, um, I'm teaching a, a, a topic in OPG this year about setting an equitable fee. And I talk a lot about the fact that we need to be – we need to denigrate other celebrants less for their choice of fee. And that's at both ends of the scale. So we need to recognize that there are celebrants out there who are not charging very much because they don't need the money. And they they don't really care about what they does what that does to the market because they just think about their own motivations. They don't need the money. They're just doing this for a bit of fun. And so they charge a nominal fee just so they're not doing it for free. And Okay, but let me challenge you on that. Get me one of those celebrants, sit them in front of me, and let them tell me how excited and, and awesome their life and their job is, that they find so much value in the, the couples, that they're not sitting there bitching me like, ah, oh, brides, ah, oh, brides, the worst. Well, I don't know. Because I, I, I haven't met that celebrant, and, and I, I don't think they exist. I'm not convinced that, they don't exist. There's a celebrant, and I haven't met her, but I've heard about a celebrant in Melbourne who has a bazillion dollars, and she certainly doesn't need the money. But she does this because she gets a real kick out of it. She really enjoys it. She loves being creative. And she charges a nominal fee because she knows that if she gives it away for free, people won't value her at all. So if she- exactly. And that's the point, though. That's the point to, to, to hover on is that, is that even if, you, like if you're rich, if you've just got all the money in the world, that means you understand value. And the, tra- the the transaction of value because value is not about money. Value is about value. Yeah. And and there, um, like there's people in this world that I would not charge a dollar for to be their celebrant because other other I already know that they do value me to to an extent that we're you know, brother friend that kind yeah. of thing. They they value me and we're in that relationship because of that value. But then also. There's other people who are like, I know they'll value me. Like after the ceremony, they'll give me the biggest hug in the whole world and that'll be worth more than any dollar fee I could put on on an invoice. And that's okay because it's not about the money, it's about the value. The truth is 99.9% of ceremonies are happening out there. They haven't got the hugs and the Facebook reviews and the love, so there's got to be money. Yeah. Because that's that's how we communicate value in this world. Yeah. 
Okay, I accept that. But also, I do still want to say, though, that we should uh, we should concentrate less on what other people charge and concentrate more on showing why we are worth what we charge. Valid point. I'll take that. Yeah, we should concentrate more on showing our value and explaining that to people and saying, you know, it's you do you do you. Whatever works for you is fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, but I charge this because this is the value that I will provide. And that's not necessarily about things. It's not about, you know, signing table or PA system or whatever it is. It's about, you know, it, it might be about things, but it might also be about I'm going to set up your day for the, you know, the most rocking party ever by providing this incredible ceremony. So it's up to us to sell our value and make people realize that this is why we are worth what we charge. So I think that we need to concentrate more on that rather than we talk, Josh, you and I talk about this all the time, running your own race rather than worrying about what other people are doing. I think there needs to be more of that. Which is a, yeah. It's a really good place to wrap up the conversation by saying thank you for listening. But if you do value this podcast and if you do find it helpful and if you find it exciting and if you uh, think maybe maybe we've got to the end of the podcast and there's just there's just more of Josh and Sarah that I want, <laughs> well, let me tell you, there's a way you can spend $10 a month by becoming a Celebrant Institute member. And you get to read all the articles, ask all the questions and enjoy everything. So uh, Celebrant.Institute is the website domain name, um, no .com or anything like that, just Celebrant.Institute. And you can sign up uh, on there and uh, yeah, get into it. Have some fun. Um, asking questions, comment on articles, join the conversation there, join the community online. Uh, our Facebook is, is going off. Um, so the, get on the Celebrant Institute Facebook and Instagram and all of that kind of thing. And because uh, I know that uh, that we feel so much love when we get that email that someone's become a new member. Yeah, it's awesome. We love it. And we love it when the current members ask us questions because it means that they they are getting something from their membership. So, like, do that. Ask us questions. We're right here. Do it. Yay. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Celebrant on Institute is the website. Uh, if you want to find more episodes of this podcast, celebrant.fm, uh, please share, rate, review, comment, have some fun. Thank you for listening. Sarah, it is always a pleasure to hear your voice through my headphones. Always a pleasure to chat to you too.